Please join with me as I read from Luke chapter 15, verses 11 through 32, as our scripture reading for the Sunday's worship service. Verse 11, Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth and wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare, and here I am starving to death? I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. But... While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these things I've been slaving for you, all these years I've been slaving for you, and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me. And everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And this is God's word. You know, last week we looked at the prodigal son. It's really an entryway into us delving into about seven or eight weeks of looking at the centrality of the gospel, which is one of the core themes of Metro. It is the umbrella value that we hold to and cling to, holds every one of our faith and statements together. And this passage is very, very personal to me because, you know, I used to think that Christianity was for the younger son types, the bad people, the irreligious people, the rebellious people, until I realized that the narrative here is really about two sons And both of them are lost. And so today we're going to focus on the latter portion of this text about the elder brother. And we're going to look at three things. One, the lostness of that elder brother. 
Two, symptoms of elder son types. And thirdly, if you're diagnosed with elder brother syndrome, how do you recover from it? The lostness of the elder brother. Two, how you identify the symptoms of elder brother types. And lastly, how you can be found. How do you you recover if you are? You know, I say recover because in many ways, uh, I personally am a recovering Pharisee. And, and so this passage is, is incredibly, it was incredibly pivotal in my own spiritual transformation. First, we're going to look at the lostness of the elder brother. Early in this chapter, it's not printed here in your bulletin, it's not printed on screen, we have the tax collectors and the sinners. They're the rebellious people. They're the irreligious people. They gathered around Jesus. They're coming to Jesus. And the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they see this and they're complaining, they're grumbling. And, you know, in this story, you have the younger son. Jesus is clearly referring to the tax collectors. He's looking at the sinner types. And in verse 17, he comes to his senses and he returns home. And he has this elaborate plan, make me like one of your hired hands. Look at the grace of the father. He waits. He watches for his son. He runs to his son, embraces his son, kisses his son. The kiss triggers the speech. The kiss triggers the repentance. It wasn't the son's repentance and the son's offer to to work his way back in that triggers the embrace. And so this younger son, he did nothing to earn this. He gets the party. He got the feast. He gets the fattened calf. There's music. This is the rebellious son. This is the disrespectful son. And he's welcomed back home. And you can only imagine as the story is playing out, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, they're hearing this and they're gasping. How can this be? Because that's what parables did. They shocked you. There was a punchline that always shocked the listener. What's Jesus saying here? One, look at the grace of the Father. The invitation of the Father. Just come home, he says. It was an invitation and still is an invitation to sinners, to people who've been broken in their own sinfulness. It's astounding, remarkable. But the second thing we see here is that the love of the Father, the embrace of the Father, the kiss of the Father is juxtaposed by the behavior of the older brother, the elder son. In the elder brother, Jesus is looking at these religious people. Jesus is looking at the Pharisees and the teachers. These are the people who've grown up in the church. And he's saying, this is who you are. You see? Because it's easy, if you're a younger brother, it's easy to tell when you're lost. When a younger brother is lost, he generally recognizes his lostness when he's lost everything. When he's poor, destitute, failed, broken, when he's washed up. But it's very difficult to see that the elder brother is also lost, when in fact both of them are lost. When I was a child, I was told that the younger brother was bad, but the elder brother was good. In fact, even the younger brother believed this in this story. In this narrative, if you look at his speech, he says, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired hands. In other words, what he's saying is, look, I'm a terrible son. I left home. I almost wished you were dead. I wanted to be as far away from you as possible, but I will work my way back into the family. And who's the best example? Who is the best model of someone who's worked his way in, worked his way up? I'm going to be like the elder son because he always worked. He always obeyed. 
But the father, before the son even gets to that part of his repentance, his speech, the father cuts him off. The younger brother, the younger son, he never even gets to make that proposal. Now you have to remember, this text is about lostness. You've got to look at the whole context here. This entire passage, chapter, is about lostness. And, and the, young, the prodigal son, the lost son, is not the only one who's lost. Jesus actually tells three parables, and in each story, something is lost. You start with a sheep. The sheep is lost. You start with a coin. Next is a coin. The coin is lost. And then you have a son who's lost. But in every situation, someone is going out to find the thing that's lost. The shepherd leaves the 99 and goes to find the one lost sheep. The woman looks around and is searching. He goes all the great lengths to find that one coin. The father runs out, is undignified in his approach. But he runs out to embrace his son. But look at verse 28. You have the elder brother. There's a party. There's a celebration. He refuses to go in and celebrate. So what does the father do? He goes out to find him. He goes out to find him to bring him back too. What's Jesus saying? The elder son, the elder son types, they're just as lost as the younger son. They're just as distant from the father as the younger son is. In other words, Jesus is saying, and this is scary, that you can be with God, doing what God wants, worshiping God, and yet still be very, very far from God. That means that there are people watching and participating in today's live stream. And you could be as close to the screen, and your heart could be even resonating at times, and yet you could be distant from the Father. In verse 29, the elder son says, look. Literally what he's saying is, look you. He's indignant towards the Father. Look at the disrespect of the Son. Look you, I slave for you. I never disobeyed. And what do I get? I got nothing. You know what that means? It's possible to be involved with the Father's affairs. It's possible to be involved in the Father's business. It's possible to be involved in the Father's work, in His commands, in His burdens, even in His community, and not even care much for the Father. Completely disrespect the Father. The younger son, he learns. He's broken. He knows he's lost. He says, I'm going back home. And so the celebration, how great is that celebration? But the elder son, he doesn't get it. And so he's lost. The elder son's been hanging around the father. Another way of saying that is, there are people who've grown up in the church and been hanging around God all their lives, and yet they still don't know him. They don't know his heart. That's the lostness of the elder brother. Now, what are the symptoms? How do you identify whether or not you are an elder brother? You see, the elder son, he's not just lost. He may actually be more lost than the younger son. And there's a reason why. Because the younger son, he's lost because he's rebellious. He's lost because he's been bad. The elder son, he's good. He obeyed. He works really hard, but that's the problem. Jesus is saying that the elder son is not lost because he's bad. He's lost because he's good. Why won't he go into the party? Why is he so disrespectful? Why is he so angry? And it's because what he says is, I've always obeyed. I slaved for you. How do you know that you may be an elder son in this narrative? I'm going to give you 
some, some quick things, but I'm going to give you a lot of them because there's a good list. I'm one of them, so I can look into this for a bit. One, it's because elder sons use their goodness to go against God for control in their lives. In the youngest son, you know it's obvious. He wants control over his life. And the way he does it, he says, I'm done with you. I'm out of this house. I'm gone. And he leaves. I get to choose what I want to do with my life. I get to choose what I want to do with my body. I get to choose what I want to do, what's right and what's wrong. Now, remember, this is an ancient Near East. That is unfathomable in that community-driven, community-centered culture. So when life starts to fall apart for the son, there's this brokenness, and that brokenness leads to a deep humility. But in the elder brother, the elder son, in that type of lostness, your goodness is a way of getting God off your back. Your goodness is a way of staying under the radar because then people leave you alone. Then you have control over your life. There's a lot of us here, we're good on the outside because that's our way of getting under the radar. That way no one confronts us. No one has any reason to approach us, to talk about our sinfulness, the deep-rooted sins that they don't see. You see that? If you're good, and it starts at a very, very young age, if you're a good person, you learn that people leave you alone when you're good. People leave you alone when you follow orders. People leave you alone when you're good at something. So what happens is over the course of time, you learn to stop depending on God. And you focus more on performance, being good, doing well, succeeding, achieving. The problem is you lose any sense of your own personal need for God, no matter how good you are. You, you start to believe that you earned it. That's what it means. You're in control when you were never in control. That's the first one. The second reason uh, or second way of identifying or a symptom is that you can tell when somebody is an elder son when, uh, by the way they're critiqued and the way they respond to critique. When you offer critique, elder brothers, they don't like critique. They get very defensive. And the reason why is because if you've grown up trying to be under the radar, there is almost an exposure and a nakedness that comes with critique. When all along they've been working for your approval, they've been working for your praise, they've been working for your endorsement, and they are so used to getting those things, there's a freedom in those things that comes with being good. So criticism absolutely destroys, it tears down an elder son type. I obeyed. I've always slaved for you. Three, younger brothers, younger brothers, they tend to confess, you know, I searched for a home where there was no home. I searched for a father where there was no father in a sense. And, and they learned this through loss. They learned this through famine. They realized, wow, they come to their senses. There is no place that will ever satisfy my deepest needs like being home with the father. They learned the hard way. Elder brothers, very different. Elder brothers, because they're always near the father, because they grew up in the church, when their life plans don't turn out the way they expected, they get very angry at God. They get very angry very indignant. Look you. In this passage, in verses 25 to 27, you have the elder brother. As he comes near the house, he hears the music. Here's the celebration. And he finds out that the father killed the fattened calf, the most expensive, the prized livestock in their home. He kills a fattened calf for this feast. And so he's indignant. He refuses to go into the party. And in verse 29, when the father comes out to plead with him to come in, the elder son says, look, 
Look you, all these years I've been slaving and I never disobeyed, but you never even gave me a goat to celebrate. What he's saying is this, I never got to enjoy anything. I was so busy working for you and that's all I do, work and slave. And I never get your favor. I never get a celebration from you. I never get honor from you. Look at the disrespect and the, and the misled view of a father that absolutely loves his son. And look at the anger that comes from not seeing that. Fourth, the elder brother says, I slaved. I never disobeyed. And yet I never get a voice. I mean, who are you to just make a unilateral decision with my inheritance? Remember, when the father divided up the estate, the younger son squandered his share. Everything that's left is for the older son. And so the son, in a sense, he's kind of demonstrating his right. What he's saying is, who are you to take my stuff and do with it as you please? What is he saying? What is he doing? He's using his goodness and obedience as a way of controlling the father. And that's how we are with God. Because we're good, if we're good, if we obey, we look around and we feel that we're better than other people. And our anger at God is a very quiet anger. It's a covert, subterranean anger, but it's there. And basically it comes out as this. In your heart, you owe me because I was good. I listened. I deserve to be heard. I deserve to be loved. I'm addicted to my rights. When you use your goodness as a way to to pay into getting access to God and getting his favor uh, and gain approval in the church and maybe even power over other people in your relationships, you start to make demands everywhere in your life. And that leaves us totally isolated from other people. But more importantly, it leaves us isolated and apart from the Father. And what that means is this. A Christian, he doesn't, a Christian doesn't just repent of his evil. A Christian must repent of the ways that he uses good, his goodness to manipulate and, uh, and make deals and demands with God. Fifth, now, you have to remember that the elder son has never been with the pigs. The elder son is not in ruin. Nothing's overtly going terrible for the elder son. He's not overtly cursing God. The elder son does the right thing. He always obeys, but he's unhappy. He's miserable. And he's constantly comparing himself with other people. That's why he's miserable. He's constantly comparing how he's being treated. This son says, I never even got a goat. Not even a goat. And he gets the calf. I deserve this. Why does he get that, even though I've been good? Goats were much less expensive. So what he's really saying is, man, you never even looked at me. And yet look at you embracing the son, loving the son the way you do. And I'm better. He's constantly comparing why he's not loved, why he's not acknowledged. Why? Because God owes him. The father owes him. Our goodness is oftentimes the root cause of our deepest misery because we're using as a way to trap God. Elder sons, they jump back and forth between two types of anger. An anger because you deserve to be treated a certain way. You deserve to be treated well because you think you're good and you think you're lovable and you think you're successful. Or an anger because you feel completely ignored by God. You feel like as if 
God has failed you in your life expectations. It's why so many elder sons, so many elder son types, they're filled with jealousy. They're filled with malice and gossip and self-pity. If you think about it, gossip is what? Look at that person compared to me. It's a way of making ourselves feel better about ourselves. There's this self, this is jealousy and self-absorption that leads to almost a self-pity and a self-loathing when we fail. And we're absolutely miserable when we don't receive that love. Six, elder brothers actually hate the law. They obey the law, right? But they don't obey because they love the Father. Look at verse 29, the words, I slaved. In fact, he uses the word, I followed your orders. Is that a good relationship? I slaved for you. I followed your orders. You see, both the elder son and a Christian, they both obey, but how they do it why they do it, very different. Let me show you what I mean. I'll tell you a story. When I was in college, I took a Beethoven class, a music theory class. Now, I was a science major. I I was majoring in two sciences, but I completely went outside of my comfort zone, and I took a music theory course because I went to a humanities uh, university, a liberal arts university. And so I had to study Beethoven to get a grade. I needed this class, uh, and I needed the grade to finish college. I needed to finish college to get a job. I needed to get a job uh, to make money, uh, ultimately to go to grad school so I can then make more money, essentially. That's what I did, right? So I wanted to be the best at Beethoven in my class. I had to, I listened to everything. I studied everything. I studied piano concerto number three, the opus 18 string quartet, the Wallstein, uh, uh, what is it? The Wallstein sonata. I, I listened to the pathetic, uh, and, I, and we're talking all three movements of Moonlight Sonata. We only know one. Why did I do this? I studied Beethoven to help me get a job to make money. But as I took this course, something happened. I started to enjoy it. I was blown away by the, the mechanics, and not just the mechanics, not just the heart of Beethoven. I was also amazed that he wrote a lot of this stuff while he was deaf, completely deaf, but the way he revolutionized music. And so I was just enraptured. I started to read his biographies. I studied piano sonata form. I even went to a concert completely outside of my school with a string, uh, there was a string quartet that played the Opus 18 uh, quartet uh, with the original instruments that would have sounded exactly like it would have sounded if you were living in Beethoven's day. Today, if you look at my classical playlists, you'll notice that I bought lots of Beethoven. So it's ironic because before I wanted to use Beethoven to make money. Now I'm using money to get more of Beethoven. Before, I studied Beethoven because I wanted a job. Now I'm studying Beethoven because I wanted more of Beethoven. Why? Because while I took that course, I discovered the beauty of it. I heard the music. I actually heard the music. And when you discover something like that, just the aesthetic beauty alone, look what it does to your soul. You want more of it. You study more of it because it's beautiful. Otherwise, if you want to, you know, there weren't, not everybody was like that in the class. If you want to study something, if you want something, in order to get something else, it's going to become work. It's going to become work. You're going to slave over it. You're never going to find it beautiful. It's never going to give you joy. 
There's, it's going to, in fact, make you angry at times, especially if you worked hard and you didn't get the grade because you never heard the music. The difference between a religious person and a Christian is this. A religious person will read the Bible, go to church, serve. And they're going to serve hard, sometimes harder than Christians. But they do it because there's something else in it for them. They can be seen. They can be known. They can be accepted. A Christian lives out of Psalm chapter 1. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. Elder sons can never say, I delight in the Father. Genuinely. The law is oppressive to an elder son. The law means sweat. The law means work. I'm going to slave over this stuff. But I need to be strong. I need to endure. Because that way I will get what I deserve. I will get my inheritance. A religious person is going to obey God just to use God, manipulate God, hold God's heels over the coals to extort from God. But the gospel says what? Why would Jesus die for me? I'm a sinner. I mean, there's nothing about me that's beautiful. Jesus gets nothing out of me. And yet he still died for me. So he must have died, not because I have anything to offer, but simply because he loves me. I'm a sinner that's shared by, saved by sheer grace. And the more you see that, the more you realize it, you come to your senses. Jesus starts to look beautiful. The father becomes delightful. You want to get more intimate with a father? You have a genuine desire to come to the father. Not to get things from the father, but to get more of the father. You see that? That's the difference. You have desire to obey, not for what that obedience will do for you, but because you delight in the Father. You delight in His law. There's a freedom in that. There's a joy in that. You're actually becoming your Father's child. You no longer feel like a slave. I'm not finished yet. The seventh reason, or the seventh uh, uh, symptom that we see in elder sons is that they're insecure and oftentimes judgmental. The elder son says, you never even gave me a goat, but this son of yours. Now, how does the father respond? Verse 31, he says, all I have is yours. Everything I have is yours. You've always been with me. Scholars say the father's actually saying, you've always been with me, and you still don't know my heart. It's always been yours. All of this. You just never asked. You just never enjoyed it. Why not? Because even though elder sons are close to the father, they never know where they stand with the father. And so they're always insecure. And that insecurity leads us to lots of pride and anger. And it's why we never have joy. We're constantly fighting. We're constantly biting at other people. We're constantly judging other people. We're constantly gossiping about people. Notice, he never even refers to the younger son as his brother. He's so detached. He's left home. He's so detached. In fact, he's further from the father, if you think about it. He says, this son of yours, this son. He can't even call him your son. He can't even call him my brother. Elder sons are always inferior, so they always act superior. He's looking down on the father himself. 
They're always complaining, always judging, always mocking, always insecure. They never have any joy. There's never a hint of gratitude. Eight. Now, if you get the gospel, one, there's a certainty about who you are. There's certainty where you stand with God. Because you know it's not based on your merit. It's not based on your record. The gospel assures us that we're accepted based on Jesus' merit, based on Jesus' record. We're not based on the works that we've done. It's our our righteousness, our favor, the favor that we receive is based on Jesus' record, what he's done for us. So the anxiety is gone. Where we, the insecurity is gone. Jesus lived the perfect life and then he credited that perfect life to you. You get the robe, you get the ring, you get the sandals, you get the feet. Everything that he deserved, you receive. And that means you can rest. That means you're clean. That means you are feasting and celebrating. And you did nothing to earn that favor. You see that? And so there's joy. And when you have that kind of joy where you didn't earn any of this, you become very winsome and you become very generous. Because, hey, this was free to me. I didn't deserve any of this. This is house money. I was lost. Now I'm found. But the elder sons, there's no joy. There's no music. And so they're always judging. They're never winsome. Christians, Christians should be the least judging people in the world. I mean, maybe we disagree. Maybe we can't, I can't convince you to side with me, but I will still eat with you. I will still feast with you. I'm just so glad you're here. And that's the point. Jesus, he's gathered with the tax collectors. He's gathered with the sinners. And it's the Pharisees that wanted to exclude them. And so they're grumbling because they didn't understand grace. Nine, by the way, this is why elder sons can't forgive. You can't forgive. Your superiority comes from your works. And so when somebody does something wrong, they they worked poorly. They must pay. They must pay for this. You love to be in control. You you want to have power. And and so what happens is uh, we tend to be very unforgiving. Ten, lastly, elder sons can't repent. Repentance is a bad word for elder sons. You see, this parable, notice, the younger son's story comes to an end. It ends with him in the, he's inside with air conditioning and a feast, right? But the elder son, it's open-ended. Because what Jesus is saying is he's looking at you. And he's challenging the elder son in you to end the story one way or the other. Will you come in? You're invited to come in, he's saying. Why is he so angry? Because he's bad? No, it's because he's good. But that's why he's so unhappy. That's why he's so anxious. That's why he's so depressed. That's why why he's so angry. We need to be compassionate to elder son types because there's so much of that in all of us. Jesus says the father comes out to this son too and he pleads with him. And this is, way, this is Jesus' way of saying, don't forget, you're invited too. There's a seat at the table for you too. Come in. Join the party. Join the celebration. How can you recover? Jesus is telling the story as a true elder brother He's saying, that is a terrible elder brother. But I'm the true elder brother. And he's reaching out, looking for you.
finding you. He's saying this. He's saying, I came here for the elder son types too. Because I am your elder son, which makes you a younger son, in a sense. Come in. Come into the party. A true elder brother would have risked his wealth, his safety, his life to find his brother. But Jesus, he doesn't just risk his wealth and his safety and his life. He gives up his wealth. He gives up his safety. He gives up his life. And so on the cross, he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What he's saying is this. I am not invited. I am not invited to the Father's home. I've been locked out. I'm not invited to the feast. I'm not invited to the party. There's no music. In fact, there's silence. Why have you forsaken me? The Father has become completely silent to the elder son, to the true elder son in Jesus. Jesus is saying, I'm forsaken, which means I'm ignored. You don't see me. You don't love me. You haven't accepted me. I'd be shut out. And he's taken the brother's place. And so what he's saying is, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And so Jesus Christ has been disowned as the true elder brother to draw in elder brothers like us. To be the better elder brother. And so he lost everything. He gave up everything. This elder brother complaining about the little that he lost. Jesus Christ gives up everything. Empties himself for his brothers. And yet he chose to do it. And he did it with humility. Look at the humility of Christ on the cross. Look at the love of Jesus on the cross. Look at the grace of Jesus on the cross. This parable is an invitation to all of us. In Galatians chapter 4. The Apostle Paul says, you are no longer a slave, but a son. You no longer have to slave. You're a child. Why? Because Jesus Christ took our place. And now the Father says, everything I have is yours. That's how the gospel becomes beautiful. When you look at the Father. When you look at the Father shutting out the perfect son. The perfect elder brother to let you in, to invite you. Your invitation, your seat at the table came at a price, the ultimate price. And Jesus gladly gave up his seat. That makes him beautiful. What do you do with the life that you have? What do you do with this grace that you've been shown? What do you do with the blessings that Jesus Christ has given to you? And given to you by sheer grace, grace alone. Will you forgive people? Will you be generous with people? Will you invite the lost? Will you invite those who you deem as brothers, your new brothers? Will you invite even the religious people who you avoided back in the day because they were so annoying to you as a demonstration of Christ's undying love to you? Will you risk your wealth and your status and your power to bring your brother home? Will you delight in the Father as he delights in you? Will there be a genuine intimacy and a delight in the Father? Because as you do, you will discover new dimensions of joy that you never experienced before. And new new dimensions of God's faithful provision for you in Christ. Let's pray.